Hey, y'all. Welcome back to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. All right, so this week we're kicking it off being joined by Joe Firstman, the frontman for the Americana country rock band Cordovas. This past Friday, they released the new album called Destiny Hotel. I really enjoy this album. There's like this unhurried energy, and it just has like a really easygoing temperament. There's a calmness to these songs, and I think that's because Joe and company... They seek out a earthy and organic sonic quality. The harmonies are just absolutely perfect. And I mean that in the like where they're not too complex or they're not and they're not too crazy. But along with that and the the B3 organ and piano, they just add that warm texture. And it just feels like I said, kind of like that natural, very organic and rootsy feel to them. I feel like this is probably something everyone's felt, but like have you ever kind of rubbed a, a wool blanket or or a Mexican poncho or maybe like a scarf, like where it's just a, a little bit more coarse and fibrous? To me, that's really how this record feels. It's very instinctive and natural. And just like I said, kind of like that earthiness to it, where you just kind of know that these songs were not overproduced. I do think there's this interesting blend of roots music happening here as well. At times, there's more of that Appalachian-based kind of roots music or East Coast if we're going to include like artists like the band and Dylan and whatnot. And then at times, like these songs, they're a little bit more through like a West Coast lens, more of the, the country version of the dead or the L.A. country stuff. I uh, think more of the country stuff from like the Birds or Gene Clark or Buffalo Springfield and less so of the Eagles or Jackson Brown. Though a song like Warm Farewells from the record, that's probably like a little bit of a tequila sunrise kind of something or another. At any rate, there's this really interesting exchange and blending of those two camps on Destiny Hotel. Anyway, this one right here with Joe, it's really good. We get into some really great conversation about those differences between the East and West Coast roots music, a lot about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, the importance of art and creators in our society, and of course, the writing, the recording, and the songs of Destiny Hotel. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Soto is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal. But for my money, It's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus. And it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. Okay, let's get on to the interview. Here is Joe Firstman of Cordovas. Yeah, well, um, next month, you know, you guys are releasing this new album here. And I guess, like, you know, I read that you guys finished up recording right on those, like, last days, right before we kind of went into shutdown and whatnot. Um, Was that kind of like, did, did you guys feel, did you ever, like, feel the pressure of, like, oh, we need to finish this up before... Uh, this happens or did it just kind of coincide like you guys were finishing up at the same time the pressure was so immense that we had put on ourselves to do a good job 
on the on the budget that the label gave us um and in the time that we had booked up in LA uh that the this we were in we were in Mexico down where we spend the winter and the signs were there like the Italian restaurant closed down and it never closes and so we were like what the fuck is that all about and and um and so the thing started happening but um we we kind of finished recording we went to my old bar that I I used to go to every night when I lived in LA and that was the last night I was in a bar. So that the calamity of the pandemic was just simply simultaneously happening, but it had for the pressure and the, the, the minimal amount of days you would have thought that it, that we were fighting, uh, trying to record in the middle of a war or something. Yeah. I kind of envision like Godfather two, like whenever they're trying to get out of Cuba, you know, like the, <laughs> Uh, the, the, um, revolutions kind of happened and, um, it's not safe anymore. It's in the middle of that war. And there's like a lot of that unsure uneasiness. Uh-oh. Are you there? Yeah. You, you cut out for a minute. I, I'm on, I'm on Wi-Fi, so I think I'm good, but I can go off. That's better. Uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, you sound pretty good over here uh, okay. right now. So, um, I'll cut that. Yeah. I mean, we were, um. We were just like we, we we're always pretty. We have a doctor in our crew. My 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 friend who I live with, um, and have a kid with, uh, is a doctor. So we're we all. She tries to keep the band not so grimy, you know. And so we were already like, um, we were already like that and stuff a little a little bit as best we could be. But then uh, during the during the making of that record, which which was only four days. Or something like I went up three days early and the boys got there. Um, so it was like four days with everyone during the middle of that. We were kind of like hypersensitive of the pizza guy and washing everything off. And yeah, we were just kind of like getting on the plane going like, whoa, this was a fucking this was some timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In saying that, you know what? I really love just it feels like this record. There is like that easy flow nature. It kind of feels stress free in a lot of ways and really kind of um or or just like just naturally organic so somehow you it, you guys still were able to capture that kind of feeling in uh sonically i i would uh i'd certainly uh appreciate that kind of observation um we had to think out really well how we were going to do it to say nothing of the preparedness of the band, which was highly prepared um you know not just your part not your harmony your other guys harmony both harmonies you should be able to sing the lead know all the lyrics be prepared for the for our our producer rick to 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 kind of throw any idea at us and be able to react and, and do it immediately without wasting any time um and so that yeah that's we were already we were already all over it. Now, the way that we did that uh, to, to try to get some smoothness, which I was worried about a lot, was uh, I went in three days early, like I said, and I kind of grooved everything out on the acoustic guitar and, you know, like played it all like an album and then kind of added, brought drummers over behind me, my, my favorite guys from my L.A. days. And then the boys came in and put the guitars and keyboards over the top. And so it had that natural flow of maybe like a show. And so if the end of a song, I just felt like I, I, I did it unlike we'd ever played them, you know, but uh, I appreciate you saying that because we were, we were, I was certainly worried that it would sound like robotic or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always one of those things where if it sounds easy and if somebody's making it look easy, that means like they put like a shit ton of work in. To make Bro, it. remember how Barry Bonds used to, you know, catch a, a simple pop fly. It was just like, it's, could this guy look fucking like he's take like it's any easier. Like he could be checking his texts right now, you know, like, and yeah. that's because he was such a gangster, right? Such a ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just one of those things where the, the easier it looks, if it looks easy on the outside, you know, like that person is just put in so much effort and, um, yeah, I think like there's like a lot of like, again, like this record, it feels really organic and loose in, in what, in a way that it makes it feel like you guys just kind of went in the room and, and just came up with it in the spur of the moment. So. Well, that's also a lot of how we play, but let me remark on, on, on what you were talking there with the easy 
looking thing. I do. I think I'm, I'm a big proponent of what you're talking about. Like, sports chess whatever you're doing like chopping it shouldn't look like your back's all like chopping tomatoes it shouldn't look like your back's all like out of place like dude have you ever done this you know like sweeping like you can always tell a bro who's never whose parents didn't make him do anything because he doesn't know how to sweep you know Mm -hmm. and so like yeah making it look easy is really important because not because of the looks of it because it gives the indication that the artist has the presence of mind to not only be doing his job and executing it at a high level but also maybe be thinking about something else, like pr- directing some energy towards the emotional quality or the performance or something else like that. And that, and now we're getting into um, w- what, what I like to identify as, um, you know, like starts to sound like more international, more world class and less like local local bar band stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like give a shit about what you do, you know, that's, uh, that's a big deepness. Deal. Yeah. Um, and then also just like uh, something else else that adds to this that I don't know if a lot of people really pick up on is um, I really like just the, the brevity of these songs. You know, this is like a, this, yeah, despite being like, you know, 10 songs long, a good chunk of music, you know, it's, it's in and out. Uh, yeah, bro. Minutes, we I really love that. We, you know, it's like, if you listen to, um, oh, there's so many examples and I, I don't, I wouldn't want it to sound like I was disparaging the guys or something, but like, it's a folk song. You know what I mean? It's a folk song. And so we don't want to get too caught up in not being able to like sit down with the guitar and like somebody go, Hey, play me this one. We're like, Oh, well, um, I need my beat machine for that one. And the, well, the drummer's not here. So, you know, we can't, uh, <laughs> and I, 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 I play piano on this one. So, you know, they, fuck, you should play this song, right? It should be decent and, and stable enough of a piece of art that, you know, that you could handle it and do it. So, and, and with that comes like not needing to draw the point out you know like it's three minutes look man if you've ever seen cordova's play it's not three minutes live we play the little three minute but that's the meat sandwiched around it is like um as much mayhem as possible Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no I, i really dig it um now obviously like this the feel of this record has that a lot of the the southern california the grateful dead aspects those harmonies right uh just kind of like that like i'm saying like that organic feel but obviously you you guys are you're also from the east coast like the appalachia carolina area right what's it been like i guess blending um in reality we're just talking about american music here so they they can't be too different but like there's still some distinctness between the two places every place kind of has its own sound and feel what has it been like i guess blending these two uh rich cultural areas together and kind of creating something new and fresh i'm always inclined to answer these kind of questions with a southern accent i went from carolina to the west coast finding out that everybody out there was trying to sound like carolina guys really like the midwestern guys everybody was southern all of a sudden and all right. Um, you know, it was just like everybody had on the mother of pearl shirt. And I was going, wait a minute. This is how my big daddy sings just like these guys want to sound. I mean, this is my birthright. Um, and, 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 but, but there's something not just in the California music, because there's only just a few examples really like the burrito brothers and, you know, like the dead, but there's not, what we're really talking about is a style, a cultural style. The way they dress, man, those shoes on Venice Boardwalk, the skaters and the little kids smoking cigarettes on the beach and, and man, like California. And so that is important to, I think, w- to our uh, formula of music making. But then there's another aspect of what you're talking about. In our band, we have uh, – Toby, who's who's not just like a a, a dude who's slightly from who's from North Carolina, who's kind of slightly familiar with mountain music, dude. He's steeped in it. He it, it's the real thing. My my grandfather played with Earl Scruggs. I mean, we we really know that stuff deep in our bones. Not 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 that we perform that stuff specifically, but it's something that I think when you can go to California, not just kind of glaze over it. I was there for eighteen years. I was entrenched. I live with the beach peoples. I had to find out the difference 
and was going to only be there for a minute versus the people that were born and raised there and went to Crestby and grew up in Malibu or grew up in East LA. And you start to see how those kids from Torrance really talk and what's important to them and that laid backness. Um, and so, so not just think, you know, Southern music, have, have some people who have a deep understanding of it and then be able to use it as an ingredient and not just have gone to California. Well, you know, like you hear so many songs, man, we went to California and they, they just didn't warn me and I had my heart broken and here I am back in Texas and, oh man, it's terrible, but I'm still rich and it never fucking mattered because I was never homeless. Right. So like we hear these dreams, we went to Mexico, you know, like no one really did it. They glazed over those chapters in their life. They went and they um, extrapolated what were the cutest parts for the best part of their story. Um, I went to LA and slept on the streets, man, and got a record deal and took the Greyhound there. Not that that's any better than anybody, but I feel like I didn't glaze over the, the, the situation. I signed that deal at the peninsula with my sleeves cut off on Atlantic and, and had that check come into my, my bank account. I, I lived all of those things. I went on national TV and so, and you know, rode around in a limo like a total lunatic in my twenties. Um, and so that, that not having glazed over LA, I think was important spending uh, the, as much time as you need to down at the beach and really understanding that beach culture is, it's completely separated from Hollywood. Uh, and then you've got some, something to put into your soup. Yeah. Like it, I think it's so easy to just, um, do the thing where you, you get the t-shirt, you, you know, you, you just kind of check off the, oh, I went and slept in the same room, Graham Parsons had it right you know that that kind of stuff that's easy to just check those boxes and go back home and say that you tried you know and that's what they do homie i can i mean you know what i mean that's what that's what these cats do Mm -hmm. yeah but of course like i think any place anything any place you want to understand you have to get on the ground level you have to get where the locals are and it's not just the the instagram that's funny during the middle of all that when i was like having limousine service i say that because it just sounds so ridiculous man i was homeless like not two years later you know like sleeping in the truck at least not homeless and um uh but but after a while when i was on tv i did get kind of like i was like losing my sense of it all and i started taking public transportation down the blue line and everything through compton and taking public all for three and a half hours all the way out to to the studio where they shot the thing um and really getting down there and and like being at the bus stop and and waiting there and sitting with the people and it was part of the adventure it was really exciting yeah yeah um you know when you i guess like i've read on on this record that you guys kind of had upwards of like 50 songs to um, choose from that you had you guys had been working on and you know obviously cut it down for for the record what what is that process like as far as kind of dwindling it down and making a cohesive 10 song record right you um you know you, you you the record well the process starts as soon as the other as soon as your previous one is kind of like officially spoken for and those songs are out and one in one way or another, they're out, right? Um, you know, everybody's, we're putting shit out on our own or lay a small label, whatever the deal is that you've got going. But it's, it's, it's ones that you kind of feel good that they're out there and you're not going to try to go like do them again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it, to make that part simple. So you've kind of got those last 10 that were on Santa Fe that, that were officially on that Santa Fe channel. Uh, and then everything else was fair game for the next thing that hadn't also been on a Joe Firstman record or the first quarter of his record, right? So there's what you're starting with. Usually th- those didn't make it on something for a reason, but you've got a nice pool of things. And as you progress as a musician, you, it's due diligence to kind of revisit some of your old material and see if you can breathe new life into it. Um, but but generally you're writing uh, songs anew and you're you're getting into your process. And that, that started when Santa Fe kind of, we knew what, what was going on that. And so we just start pushing, pushing Luca. I mean, at 50 is probably understatement. We had, we had more than that. Luca was really pushing. Um, I was pushing Toby and I was pushing. Uh, we were even like did a few co-writes, you know, it's Nashville. We just really didn't want to shut off any, uh, any roads. Of course, one of my great, uh, friends and writing partners, Brian Wright was, was deeply involved and he's always kind of, has his mind on melodies for Cordovas and things that might work for us. 
So we just diligently start like doing what the dead did, man. We start playing the songs out. We start seeing which ones get reacted. We start uh, listening to them in the car the next day. We play hundreds and hundreds of shows. So you have a lot of chance to throw things in there. Every show is not, um, you know, Wembley. So you, you have a few throwaways there where you can start in- in- injecting some tunes in. And it's a huge process. Okay. And then we get to Mexico where we really, uh, um, we started advancing the process, accelerating it uh, with um, with with the daily kind of during the week. Everybody starts meeting over at my house uh, d- down there, and we start kind of going through things very officially, making tapes. Um, by this time, you've kind of decided on a producer, and he's kind of involved. And our job ultimately is to not be precious about one or the other. Give them all the right attention. Do them the best you can. Don't favor one to the next like children, and then present them to a, a, a other people like the label and your management whoever it's your girlfriend the janitor gardener whoever see if he bobs his head you know don't don't be elitist about it um and then you start getting a feel and that windles it down and then the producer you know at the at the last minute there in mexico before we came to la we sat on uh facetime or whatever and played them all and you know he just kind of made his notes and he kind of said okay that was got it down to 30 and then we then we had the next day and we played them all again and got it down to 15 and then we got it down and then so we kind of came to la with like basically you know 10 to 15 that we thought were going to be good yeah you know i really i like when when a band you know road test songs you know they play them live but yeah. not on record yeah. so it's so easy to um just play what's on the record and you know you know and and i guess kind of get stuck in that kind of way of of not hey this is a new song guys uh we're playing it for the first time tonight you know that it's very easy to just kind of yeah i guess hold on to them for for some reason um but those bands are in just a different world than us all together man mm -hmm. because I, i i just don't see like we don't ever play the songs like they're on the record ever period ever period i'm not capable i'm simply not capable i won't so like whatever whatever that is you know i mean i i just think that like improvisation is such a vital part of even like wanting to have like some kind of road life and it just doesn't seem like it pieces itself together very well when you have a road life which is just about adventure and like new experiences every day and new places and then you're presenting the same old thing in the same way and it's back to that point man it's because they're not good enough to to play their emotions on a daily basis and and execute it um without doing something by memory you know yeah and then of course like there's the whole part about you know a record can be more so a a snapshot and that like once you finish recording a song it doesn't necessarily mean it's done uh you know like it there's some there's an aspect of it being finished right then, but it d- doesn't mean it's done. You can change no. and morph, and you know there's plenty of great examples yeah. of, of guys, uh, you know, 15 years later changing the song up. Like think, like just think of all like the Dylan stuff that's changed over years. Yeah, and the Dead would add new meaning. I found even in my own, um, you know, my own little trough of uh, scrappy little songs that I've tried to come up with over the years, they take different forms. You live in them and then you um, understand them better and you understand maybe, you know, you understand things that you didn't know what you were talking about back then. And you maybe even see them as beautiful. You certainly see the ones that are knuckleheaded and, and bad, man. I have so many uh, examples of failed verse uh, that it's laughable, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you you mentioned earlier, uh, you kind of go back and revisit songs that, maybe that didn't get cut before and that, that are kind of older. Um, and you do find some new meaning in them or, or you try and get them to, to work this time around. Um, what, what's been like the, uh, is there like any examples of, of, of a song like that on this record that's kind of older than the rest that just kind of, uh, rose to the top. Yes. Started working again? Um, uh, this song, I'm a be me, which I wrote with my cousin, um, Who's, who's, who's born and raised in New York City, and he's got a real good way with with rhyme and and, and uh, verse. Um, and you know, again, man, it was just like it was due diligence to play all of them, and I think this is one of the few ones that kept kind of not getting on a record. And uh, but we play it live, and it has all the whole stuff. I'm gonna be me, I'll be y'all. Math adds up. What the scale has flaw. Um, 
and it had, you know, and so I just, once again, as far as the recording process, I played it on acoustic to a click, you know, and, and we came in and laid it over top of that, but it had a decent feeling to it. And again, it was out of, I, I didn't want to be a part of the choosing of the song. So, um, the producer liked it, managed, everybody liked it. So I don't care. They, they put it on there, but that's one of the ones that's been lingering around many recording attempts, you know. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. There is a way to help A, support Blue Light, and B, get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com, clicking on the merch tab, and getting some koozies, a vast array of t-shirts and caps, and yes, even a Blue Light flag. While it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now, I'm telling you, by getting some Blue Light Live merch, you're going to feel better. It just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. I read that you you got really into some Joseph Campbell stuff. Around sure, we love him. Yeah, um, I, I think like that's, he's A, like one of the, you, I think every artist needs to kind of read his stuff because I think it'll make um, not just your own stuff better, but like I think you understand storytelling so much more uh, once you've really dived into like you know the hero's journey and, and stuff like that. I completely agree. I think it'll make your stuff better. I think it bolts you to reality better, in which case allows your sense of uh, um, imagination to even be bigger. Mm-hmm. Because well, you know, it's not false imagination. You're not caught in this like mythical uh, thing, you know. Right. Well, you know, like I, I think like it's one of those things too, where um, a lot of artists are obviously constant readers, and and um, obviously just they they you take in a whole lot of art in general, and I I think like sometimes people for some reason will think like that means that you're being influenced by like on a influence as far as like the, the actual writing part or like the storytelling part. But I think Uh what what somebody like Campbell does more so is like, it makes you understand being an artist better and like more of the, you you get what I'm saying? I absolutely do. Without question. Well, like what, what do you think like has his, his has been like the, the the greatest uh, revelation that you've, that you've kind of had. Oh, as far as literature or, or, or outside art of uh, making an influence, yeah, yeah. Man, I had a I had a lucky art art life. Man, my mom was a fearless artist, um, opera singer. You, you know what I mean? As I mentioned, my grandfather and could uh, you know played guitar really well and sung and and uh, and played in the Appalachian Mountains uh, on on those circuits back in the forties, I guess fifties. Um, and they weren't not, maybe not so good of types types of scenes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Mama could paint beautifully. Everybody could could throw it down, man. On my on my dad's side, he, my dad plays real good uh, guitar and sings. Uh, all his sisters were like opera people. And 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 and, and having uh, pens and pencils was important. I, my mom really was, uh, imp- you know. We, that she kept that stuff around for me. So being an artist, just growing up and, and wanting to be an artist was just really, uh, something that I still feel like I did when I was a child. Um, and that's, that's, I think the most important thing I think. And then, and then your, your, your taste for that and your love for having like, you know, created a piece of art, for instance, and like the third graders all thought it was dope or whatever. You knew something was special. You you peeked over at your friend's art and it, and 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 you were you were at another place or something, you know. And um, however you can get the motivation, man, because because it's like you you could be Picasso, you could be born wealthy and be great. You could be poor, come out of um, 
a bad neighborhood and be great. We don't care. We just like the good stuff. That's what we need. The world just needs the good stuff. So, right, as far as your influences and stretching them out and getting that Joseph Campbell in there, you're going to need that Eckhart Tolle in, in there, man, because he's, he's, he's making things, again, real, real practical. He might not be helping you with your verse like Rainer Marie Rilke will when he's talking about letters to a young poet. These are things that are vital, uh, uh, Thomas. When I was in Hollywood, um, being a, a, a fool uh, and trying to be a rock star, I want to be, and being on Atlantic and and and, bl- and blowing uh, and sabotaging my record deal and my life's dreams. Um, in the midst of all that, people, women were leaving books at my house, and it was all these things. Mm-hmm. It, it, it led to Marcel Proust, um, in, in our present day, you know the way that we're passing around in this band um you know uh garden of the prophet and confucius <laughs> getting passed up down the stairs and you know i'm looking at like montaigne we read this guy michelle de montaigne um so it, that's a big part of it for us because i i'm, I'm a big part of like yeah and you're not going to be too swayed by any influence man if you sit there and listen to like quincy jones for three days and you're like oh, i'm gonna write it like it's not gonna sound anything like quincy jones you know who told me that Quincy Jones, man, he was on the TV show I was on and we fucking kicked it for like two hours after the show. So, you know what I mean? Just keeping the art pumping. And then, and then when you're referring back to Michelle de Montaigne and Joseph Campbell, these guys are going to, yeah, they're going to enhance your sense of, of art and maybe, maybe remove your sense of self. But that's, that's, that's the journey that you're, that, that one is going to have to figure out. But I do know that if my guitar player, when he goes down and he sits there and reads Rainer Maria Rilke, um, he comes back the next week with, yeah, more attention, more awareness, um, more poetry, more liveliness, more sense of adventure, and fucking my favorite thing, unpredictability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I think it's, it's so easy to just kind of like you're kind of saying like getting wrapped up in the losing like your sense of like why you wanted to do this in the first place, you know, right. Uh, there's so many temptations out there. And I think at some point you, you either get knocked down and realize, Oh shit, you know, this is, uh, what was all that about? You know, what, how do I get back in, in connection with the real stuff or you, you get tired of it or whatever and and or was that ever real in the first place (laughs) yeah i mean that's what that's what letters to a young poet is basically he gets to the point where you're saying you know eventually man you got to look yourself in the mirror and go am i artist enough and be okay with a resounding no Mm -hmm. don't 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 be a chump you know don't keep lying don't keep don't keep making somebody pay for this yeah um, uh, or, or, you know, get down to business. And, and again, the business is not going to just have started right then. It's going to have started a long time ago. And, and people like me have to sit there and, 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 and decipher that tale that I just taught you about all my family and go, was that enough? Are you fucking artist enough, man? Well, then what did you do today? <laughs> right. You have to constantly hold your feet to the fire. And, you know, man, that's why a lot of the bros that I know went away you know certainly quit playing but a lot of bros had to go away uh and pass away because it, because of this shit you know mm-hmm. you know you 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 mentioned how uh, like your family was so supportive of the arts they all kind of they all come from various artistic expressions uh, and i i feel like that's so important for for your development as a, as a kid, not even if you, even if you don't become a quote unquote artist, it just helps you, um, understand and appreciate, uh, art in general. And like, you just become like a little bit more well-rounded of a person. And I think that, you know, for me growing up, like no one really in my family played or did anything like that. But, um, so I think growing up, I always kind of thought if you, to become a musician, you know, it's, um, you become George Strait, right? Or you become the Beatles, right? Right. and and there's no middle ground. There's no. It's either either zero or a hundred. And I think that's a yeah. lot of people in 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 this world. They they kind of view the arts as that. Is it's either like something that you you just don't do, or you're rich and famous and and what everything that goes along with that. Well, you're you're hitting on something that that that. 
um, in the middle of everything come, comes that ugly part of it that even, um, I think even in the back of most artists' minds, somehow they get distracted along the way. I, I'm sure I have evidence of myself having been distracted many, many times. I don't feel distracted this moment. Um, but I know the people in my family, there was less of, uh, support it was it was there you, you had it if you wanted it nobody was making you play the piano the piano was there um you know what i mean your mom's an opera singer she, you're gonna ask her of course we're not gonna ask her we don't we don't boys don't do that we want to go eat dirt and play baseball um somewhere in there thomas the danger comes in where that you get it you, right you have to be famous or it's nothing Mm-hmm. you have to be George Strader it's nothing and it makes it this daunting thing and it makes us this like well you don't go do that that's not going to be a thing and then Lord have mercy with him we get into the whole concept of like a side guy you know a, a bro devoting his life to coming to Nashville from wherever after um, practicing so much and thinking he's capable and ready to get on the gig to go be a, a side guy for the for the next 30 years what the fuck is that all about for me personally, it's hard to to understand that, man, you know, like you want to work your way up through the studio and get it, but to not have your own North star and your own art, I think uh, is, 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 it would be hard for me to understand how to navigate with my little bits of skills. So, you know what I mean? Like that, that part of um, your parents or, or society thinking that you're supposed to be great or that you're not supposed to do anything more than just, God damn sing at dinner. Just lift your voice and sing. People can't. If you sit around a, a, a circle with some of your neighbors and stuff and you go around the circle, people won't even fucking know how to sing. They'll be too scared. It'll be too weird. They'll be too pent up. It'll be too worrisome. It'll be too tragic. And um, you know what I mean, man? It'll be oh, absolutely uh, traumatic. Because the, because the person, the dad or the mom never once lifted their voice or the vibes were so gnarly at dinner. So you know what I mean? That's the deal with music. When you put it into yourself, hopefully, regardless if you're mean or you're sad that day or whatever's going on, you know, I heard my dad play guitar. That was the gift. He didn't really want us to play his guitar because we were going to break it. And I heard my mom get up and rehearse and play piano. And I think that conditioned into me uh, um, that gift that, that I was given rather than going, you're going to do this. You know, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like that, that scaredness, that timidness. Um, killer. Is, it's a killer. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just such a. Obviously, I think what it, it all goes back down to is the like the intimidation of failure or perception of failure. And, That's correct. And my uh, my dad, God bless him, he may listen to this. He, he you know he like went to he, he had some songs and stuff in the seventies and was tall and skinny and, and looked like a George Harrison or something, uh, a big one, a huge George Harrison. And he went to Atlanta. You know, I guess he may may have performed for whatever label and they said you know you got to have 20 songs man come back that's a good one come back and you know i just remember kind of coming up and being a teenager in my bands and he was just kind of going i mean you gotta have you gotta have so many songs man you know like you you don't even know what you're talking about and i just go well then i'll have a lot of songs i mean i've written hundreds of i've written with willie nelson bernie Taupin, so I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. That, that didn't stop me. I was told by some of the people closest to me um, in really times where you're really getting ready to go pick, you know, shitty college fucking jive or the or an adventure. And I was told by people closest to me that I had stars in my eyes. Uh, you know what I mean? You just got to say, fuck them, man. So you got to have some kind of part of you that says, fuck everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, my first manager in Hollywood, we got all the way up there. We got to the Atlantic deal and then, you know, it's all the way down to me back in my truck again. I'd made a million dollars, man, you know, or more. And I'm back in my truck sleeping in the thing and I'm like playing in Delaware. And now my manager's living out there and, you know, and she goes, she goes, time to pull it off the road, dude. <laughs> I was so heartbroken for, for that flash. You know, I, I, I I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm getting better. Oh, I see. This looks terrible. This looks failing and, 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 and failures stop. And that, that, um, you know, that, that, uh, uh way of looking, engaging and judging things is, is bullshit. Yeah. 
I think like there's so much of the obviously so much of the the business aspects come into the commercialization of of art is what kills a lot of this and um when you kind of get that business look on on an artist um it, it's mm. they're two different worlds and um I think a lot of the times you know you guys are lifers like there's no turning it off so it's I appreciate you saying that we, the boys would appreciate you saying that too, man, because that's how we live. And that's how I've, I've tried to teach these guys and how they tried to teach me. Um, you were just saying something else though. That was important. What was it right before that? Oh, just, you know, about like the, how com- commercialism, commercial right. can just kind of, yeah. yeah. Any kind of, um, the cats, a lot of cats that I come across and it's like Spotify is taking all our money. And they're like, so it fucking sounds like IRS. Sounds like fucking taxes to me, man. I don't know what the fuck, you know. I don't give a fuck about that at all. They're stealing your music. What? No, they're not. I mean, what? I don't care. So fucking get some, get some, is, there, is BMI not on the motherfucking case? Yeah. I mean, get, is ASCAP not handling this shit? What the fuck do they need me for? You know what I'm saying? It's like you got to do one or the other, man. And everybody, you're, you're either proponent, good, being the proponents, but you're going to start being the business manager and the artist. I've tried that, man. I was sleeping in the car. The moment I could get a new manager, I begged this guy, Chip, to be our manager. And I was just so happy that somebody could fucking return emails for me, man. I don't want, I don't want my mind having to think about any kind of business. Yeah. You know, like I, a lot of times when I'm talking with, a lot of up and coming songwriters, you know, they, uh, if you're like super independent and you don't have anyone handling that stuff, you know, it can, uh, it's just kind of draining on the, the creative process, you know, that I've know a lot of guys who have, have, have put out records and they're putting out a record and, you know, during that moment, they're not really writing anything because all of their attention's gone to, the handling of the business side. And of course, like granted, like that's part of it for, for them at that moment. But it's kind of also like, man, you know, you, you gotta like, it's um, keep rolling. Yeah. yeah. You gotta keep painting. Don't worry that you're fucking that your show's coming up in Amsterdam and all the paintings are sold. No, no, no. I'm fucking keep putting that paint to the board. I just lived what you just said. You're very insightful. You understand this, this, this deal a lot. Um, uh, I didn't do shit during the record, man. When the whole thing was just like, we knew, and we, you know, like I was so nervous. Then fucking dude, the manager calls me one morning and he goes, good news. You got a street date. I fucking swung my fist in the air so hard. I fucking threw my shoulder out, dude. It was just, <laughs> we have so much tied up in it. And you know, you, you, you do good. The Dovas do good. And this is important by keeping it weird, bro. Keep the fucking greenery around. Keep a nice bottle of tequila generally on hand. Um, keep it weird. Keep candles and incense on hand so that you can make a little nook for yourself at some point and go grab a piece of the night and turn it into a song like we like we just did right now here and talking. You know, we have to be able to seize the moment and draw on the moment and, and through that uh, at all times. But but you, you, you're, 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 you're identifying a very unique little part of the artist's life um, in this time when his record's coming out. It, it kind of it freezes shit, and you're, you're, uh, you're smart to know that. I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two, or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime, or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, take a couple of pulls off, and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges, and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and, and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes. All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, like I, I think like also with that, though, right now we're in such a weird time. Obviously, there's we, there has been that big, great pause on, on playing places. And um, 
so with that all added on to releasing a record, not being able to play around and, and support these songs, what kind of frustration has, has been uh, added to this entire process? Zero. Zero. Um, and and I'd have to say it's the opposite. Only it's only added good things. And here, and one of the reasons is if you start at the first part, make something built to last. Period. When you, when you, when, when the first time that three days in, and that girlfriend of yours that you're really in love with, that first thing that you guys start gnawing at each other, identify it right then, because when it starts lingering, you're gonna have a crack in the foundation. You don't got something built to last, and you're gonna, and you're gonna fucking go five years of your life. When you should have had a conversation, when all, when you would have been saved of that by one conversation, mm-hmm. right or two. Um, so the first thing is build something to last. How do you do that? You make a band at our level. What is everybody cross town? See your rehearsal on Wednesday. Oh, it, it's raining. Oh, sw- what? No, 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 no. You got to rehearse twenty four hours a day to be in the Cordovas. So how do you pay for it? Right? That's not a. That's not our problem. Our problem is rehearsing 24 hours a day and being in Cordova's. If we have to go do it under the street corner or um, in a box, or if we have to do it at my little surf cabin in Mexico, no problem. As it stands, we have a, a, a different, more, more, more livable situation than that in, in Nashville. And so the Cordova's eat, sleep, smoke, drink, play all the time. We live together, so we haven't stopped playing at all. In fact, we've been able to really, really dial in some of the stuff that you might not want to dress in the thick of um, long tours the way that we always do. In parentheses, my friend, I have a two-year-old. Now, nothing's really going to stop me from being on the road if there's a person saying, Joe, come sing. We want you to come sing, bring you guys Right. It's too amazing and it's too built into me to turn that down. I I don't quite at this point at 40 years old, I don't know how to turn that down, but we can't do it now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we obviously have played 100 shows already this year online, real shows, candles lit, bottles of tequila, um, all of our fans there. Um, We go back, listen to them, make the notes. Our band's gotten better. Um, as far as you say, the promotion part, I disagree. I mean, for us, we're seeing more new people every week that we just no way we'd be able to reach whatever the thing says on the blue website, 10, 15,000 people on one of our shows. We ain't going to be able to do that in, in Roanoke tonight. There's going to be 13 people, and it's going to be tough, man, and you're going to be really paying to not break your backs, to, to find a bed for everyone. Part, part of the deal, you got to make something built to last. That's what the moral of the story is. And so when these things come along, it ain't nothing, dude. This is regular. And and if anything, it's it, it's if you have something real, a real thing going, then it might even get stronger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh talking with a lot of people during this past, I don't know, four or five months, I think it's always been the the ones who have uh like any anytime there's something that that, that changes something right anything that like changes the world um it's those who can adapt the quickest who find um that they're able to go on and that's right and, and obviously like streaming shows or like just other creative outlets finding ways to connect with people um that that's who have been the the, the most productive during all this and i find it what i find really interesting is if you ask any songwriter like um, what's the, the one thing that you could use right now? A year ago, 90% of them would say, oh, more time to, to write and create. And then all of a sudden you just get this big whopping amount of time you don't do to shit. do that. And well, how do you, how, I think like it's, it's weirded, weirded some of them out. It's, uh, it's yeah, man. And again, people are like getting into the business parts and all the other stuff. Yeah. You, this is a gift. And, um, yeah, this, I, it seems like maybe the perception is something otherwise. This is an artistic, a, a gift for any artist that the, 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 um, it's all level. We're all even the playing fields level, man. We're all stopped in the same place. Your real artistry stands out. If you're a beautiful artist, people are going to care about what you're saying and doing. If you don't have anything to do, we play three fucking times a week. I mean, I don't know if there was nobody up there watching it, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> Simple <laughs> as that, you know what I mean? Of course, we have to change it up every time. I mean, that's the fucking name of the game. 
you know what I mean? Who would who would watch the same dudes doing the same songs in the same way? I mean, that that's not fun at all. So yeah. this has been good, man. I've been able to hang out with my with my little friend, small friend that looks like me. <laughs> um, you know, man, we got the garden in shape. The boys, you know, we got we're passing around the books. You know what the musician said during the Great Depression? What what's that? What depression? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The well, um, it's always fucking depression, man. We didn't get into this for any fucking money or any goddamn. Yeah, I, 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 feel, I hate that. Like the sob story. Oh, my tour dates are taken away. Like, first of all, they weren't yours. Nothing is. Read some Joseph Campbell and come back in a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's the the first thing I thought whenever all this happened was there's that I can't think of what this the what song it is, but there's that Alabama song. Where he talks about, you know, uh, the stock market fell, but we couldn't tell, you know, like it, right. <laughs> we were so poor, we couldn't tell. And that's, there's so much of, of that where, you know, it, it does go to that depression joke you got there. Um, yeah, musicians shouldn't care, man. There's also like that scene on Titanic and shit where like the, the, the string quartet's like still playing. They're like the last mm-hmm. ones working, you know, they're like, no, keep working, keep fucking playing. And that's how I feel, man. But you should feel like that. That's cool. I think Bob Dylan tries to keep a piece of that because he's always on the road, you know. He's just like, don't worry, man. Show your show your backstage pass. Don't think you're the big deal. I, I tried that. People got so turned off by me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like one of the key things for Dylan is yeah being on the road and like just kind of always tap. Even though he's like so influenced and inspired by so many old things, there's also like keeping around new people that that can give you life to keep you in touch with with what's real. Man, yeah, you just. You just struck lightning on that one, my brother, because that's the thing that I think is you have to do in your relationship. If you got a boyfriend, girlfriend, you got a significant other, somebody that you care about, you got to you got to keep you got to bring new things, man. You got to see the world in new ways. You got to continue to grow. The, 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 the dialogue must continue. The path, the learning, the joy, the connection has got to keep going. And that is a responsibility that you have as a bandmate. You have to put enthusiasm into your day. You have to put enthusiasm into the backstage hang. The dude sitting there unaware in his own mind is not adding and not helping what the fuck is getting ready to go out, what you guys are getting ready to go out there and try to do, which is, which is to touch people emotionally, not to do a craft show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the craft show. That's a... Uh... I like that. <laughs> we we call it co- a lot of the stuff you know man we call a co- costume art cause art you know cowboy hat and the shirt and everything and um man if you took away the costume like I don't know what would it be any good or something I don't know like why is there a costume you know yeah like the I guess it's kind of related to the what do they call it like the cottage cottage industry like you know just like um something that that's kind of uh perceived as as being you know organic and, and real or like just some motherfuckers that are wearing shirts that look like they just built a cottage <laughs> well you, like this whole like thing where like you it's the perception of stuff that's like real and and handmade and everything but it's manufactured in a chinese factory you know like that oh yeah big down thing so um, yeah that's the deal man you we, we just want to you, you got to do your part, man, and bring new things, and you got to share music with each other. You know, I just got three fucking uh, songs. Me and Luca, he li- he lives downstairs. Um, we're we're passing them up and back and forth, and then he runs them, and then he goes and teaches them to Toby. Then I come out there, and we all assemble. Yeah, man, it's like you you sh- you got to be mad at yourself for not doing art that day. You got to you got to have some kind of thing, and that's again where my some of my friends. Um, we're having that struggle and it, it was too hard of a struggle for them. Um, you, you got to be able to hold your footing and, and not let that blow you off the boat into the ocean. Like just ho- hold on there now. Um, hold yourself accountable. You told everybody you're going to be an artist. You did all this. You told your mom, you told your friends, live by your words and, 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 and don't be afraid to fail in, in our, I, I, 
not have one rain on the rail or high feeling or whatever you want to call or decent songs. Maybe I have written a decent one yet. Maybe not, but I certainly know that I have thousands of failed verses. Mm-hmm. Those are victories, man. You know what I mean? Those are my, my failures. I fucking did those. Those are badass failures in the mute, in the movies, bad movies are loved in the movie industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a whole fucking genre. So, um, you know, man, you just do the work best you can, get less cheesy, um, read more books, and your lyrics will be re- refined. Remove uh, wanting and, and thwarted uh, behavior, unless you're just remarking on it. You know, start to learn some of the rules. Yeah. You know, I, I think, like, obviously, these are things you've learned uh, with through experience. And I think experience helps to be that, that response, that, the accountability that you're talking about, the responsibility um, one of my favorite songwriters and artists out there is, is this guy named Terry Allen and he's from here in Lubbock and, um, you should check him out if you haven't before, but like one of his big things is you kind of, even if you're not, if, even if you didn't finish a, a song or an idea today, you kind of have to be in that moment. You got to be aware of your moment, um, because it's going to help down the line. You may not like tackle it all in that once that afternoon but like if you have to be if you're in that moment and you're aware of that moment and um just thinking about you're going to be able to to do it at some point and i think that you, you just learn you learn that through experience that you just can't force everything too so yeah. you can't force it and you know you're getting better all the time if you're if you're refining the way that you're driving or you're, you're turning your truck in an expert fashion um exactly precisely uh in coordination with that um yellow line or however that you were attempting to do it or you're surfing and you're finding that beautiful line and you're tucking yourself right up on that wave exactly in the in the in the trajectory that you want um my my feeling is we're getting better at art when we're getting better at conversation when we're getting better at love making or gardening we're getting better at drawing and we're getting better at piano um, and, 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 and that's one of the main things I've, I've found, like I've, I go away from drawing. I used to draw all the time and, and then I come back to it four years later and I, I didn't got, get worse. I got better because I've been playing so much music somehow, you yeah. see? So like, it's also intertwined cleaning, you know, that's another thing, attention and conversation. You get better at attention and conversation. You don't think you're going to get better at the musical dialogue within a song, Right. what how could what how could they have to work in the same fashion right yeah. you know like the it, it, there's two things on that is like one like doing the the what you would kind of consider the, the 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 work around the house the washing of the dishes folding towels and stuff laundry yes th- those shower thought moments i think are just that helps once you go back and sit down to start working on something you, you've you've already th- started the process, and then two, like sometimes, yes. like in 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 modern society right now, where we're, we kind of like shoehorn people into or pigeonhole people into, oh, you're a songwriter, you're a guitar player, you're a painter, you're a sculptor, and it goes back to the, the thing with Terry Allen is that he never thought of himself as these individual things. It's you're just an artist, and you know, like your drawing does help the creative process for your songwriting and the garden right. does help with something else and whatever the case is, it all is one thing. It's not a hundred little different things. No, they're all interconnected. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And, and yeah, you, it's like John Lennon too, man, you know, just give it, what, that's why I don't, I play all the instruments. Which one, which one do I play? Well, none of them. <laughs> I fucking know who Yo-Yo Ma is. Yeah, <laughs> I know who fucking you know. Come on, man. I I know who Leo Kotke is. I'm not going to call myself a guitar player. I know who Jocko is. I'm not calling myself a bass player. However, you ain't going to hear nobody that's, that that plays like me because my main thing that I care about is that <laughs> right <laughs> originality. You know, and then because I've learned that through art, I learned that through seeing good artists in, in my art drawing classes coming up um, render themselves not emotional and not powerful artists because of the boringness in their hearts or the boringness and the lack of experience, the lack of chance taking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's all great, man. Um, 
man, it's been really, really great talking with you today. I really enjoyed. I appreciate it, Thomas. And, uh, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So have I, man. Yeah. You have a great, uh, sense of insight into the, uh, into this world. It's amazing that uh, you're, you're, you're not a songwriter. No, I'm not a, an artist or, or a song. You're not an artist. That kind of thing, so. uh, you have I a mean, great like, piece of insight. Well, I would never uh, cut it off because there's this guy, Mark, who, who's kind of like my um, like my biographer or whatever, this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he is 50-something, and he just kind of hung out. I live with him, you know. He, I, we talked art a lot. We passed a lot of Joseph Campbell around. Anyway, one day he wrote a song, best, one of the best songs I've ever heard, first song. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know it's it's always there yeah so uh, anyway yeah. pleasure talking to you man yeah, for man. sure it's, it's been great so. yeah. all right that's it for this one y'all go check out destiny hotel by cordovas big thanks to joe for the conversation go visit our presenting partners over at desert door and the blue light live and yeah go check out the patreon and the merch store while you're at it okay i'll see y'all later this week for another episode of new slang <laughs>